The show's about to start. Are you ready? What's going on? Welcome to the show. This is Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm your host, Jeff Trenopole. And as always, I bring you sports from a West Side point of view right here in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio, home of the Cincinnati Reds, who had opening day yesterday. Unfortunately, they lost 11 to 6. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, do me a favor. If you found that found the show. Hit that like and subscribe button. Smash that thumbs up. I'm up to 953 subscribers. That is awesome. I appreciate every single one of you guys. Now this show and every show is brought to you by T Properties. T Properties, quality housing for quality people. Check out their website at www.tpropertiesllc.com for all your rental property management needs and your rental needs. All right, let's get to the Reds here real quick before we get to my special guest. Like I said, yesterday was Reds opening day. I was down there enjoying the festivities in the snow. It was fun. Great time all until the first inning. And we gave up six runs in the first inning. But there's things I did like. I love the professional at-bats that the Reds gave. It didn't seem like they were actually trying to just swing and hit home runs every time. They're working account. Uh, a lot of line drives. I mean, if you don't give up 11 runs, we probably win the game. Bullpen was phenomenal. Mental errors. And just physical errors, they got to tighten that up. But they don't play again until Saturday. So I think we're going to be all right. But let's get to our special guest that I know all of you guys are waiting to see. He's from the Locked On Bengals podcast. Oh, I did it again. Jake, what's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, Jeff or Iceman. Sorry, I, I'm either way. To use your, your uh, either Ice way, Man Jeff or Iceman. I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I'm I got three well, names. Man. How are you? Good, brother. Good. So, uh, are you uh, excited about the uh, the uh, pro day of Panay Sul? I was excited to see the results. Yeah, I uh, I was shocked by the arm length measurement because yes when i watched penne sul it never really showed up it, it it really doesn't come up very often for him on tape if ever on tape right right and uh you know i, I went back and watched four games that's why that's why i was a little bit late getting in here uh <laughs> i i went back and watched four games and you know disclaimer is that i i am not an offensive line expert, but what I was concerned right. about was, you know, does the length show up? Right. And I would say it doesn't, I don't think it matters at all. The guys, you know, 330 pounds moves great for a guy that's 330 pounds. He was shorter than I thought he'd be. Yep, uh, six, four, seven, eight is what I got. Yeah. I thought so. So what I was expecting, I thought he'd be six, six. I thought he'd have 34 plus inch arms because that's how he looks on tape. I thought he'd be 330, right. 325 plus pounds. He's 330 pounds. So he hit that number. 
right? The the weight was there. And actually that means he he's denser than than you thought. And it's not bad weight. He carries it well. There's that picture of him out there. You know, he's not wearing a shirt. He doesn't yeah, look he looks like, jacked. I, I mean, I thought he was I thought he was maybe skinny. I thought maybe he's gonna be lighter. <laughs> right. Than, than than he than he looked on tape. But I mean, yeah, great size, I think, overall. A little bit short, but I, I don't again, I don't think it matters. Um Really great ability to anchor when challenged with power. Uh, where you have concerns about the length, as far as I understand it, is when guys get into your chest and they control you. Uh, mm -hmm. You see Carl Lawson do that. You saw him do it to Jason Peters in the Philly game last year, where you know he just gets that long arm, that one long arm extended into your chest. And if you can't anchor against that, you can't knock that arm down, you can't get to his shoulder pads, then sometimes you can have problems. You can also see it with with Billy Price. Uh, mm -hmm. You see Billy Price uh, a lot of times, and this is what you do see from Sewell, the aggression. The aggression mm -hmm. sometimes leads to you see the eyes come down and you'll see the top of their helmet on, on camera when you're watching them. And, and you'll see them lunge a little bit. You see with Billy Price all the time. I've watched Penny Sewell. I've watched probably, like I said, three, three, three and a half, four games with Penny Sewell, Utah, Wisconsin, uh, a couple others in there. And it, it just, it doesn't really, it doesn't really show up that much. I think, you know, there is a technique issue there that needs to be ironed out. He needs to be a little bit more patient, keep his eyes up. Uh, but he was 19 right. when he was playing last. So, mm -hmm. you know, for me as, as, as uh, a very amateur evaluator, uh, I'll say, like, I, it doesn't really change anything for Sewell. I, I think he's still probably the best tackle in the draft. And I, I, I don't, you know, knock him too much for the arm length, but the Cincinnati Bengals might because right. in their recent history, this is something that, that Joe Goodberry and I track and, and Joe was tracking it long before I joined him in this project. But here are the three tackles they've drafted with arms shorter than 33 and a half inches guys that have measured 33 and a half inches or shorter in their history. Okay. Uh, going back to 2004, Jake Fisher, in 2015 was about 33 and a third. They mm -hmm. drafted him in the second round. That's the highest they picked a tackle that didn't hit this particular threshold. Right. Reed Fragle in 2013 and Tanner Hawkinson in 2013 in the seventh and fifth round, respectively. Mm -hmm. Those are the only guys in their history below the 33 and a half inch benchmark. Right. That, that they've drafted period at offensive tackle. Yeah, that's that's where I'm like I I know you watched the show the other night where I was on uh, the Orange is the New Black podcast, and uh, I had your co-host on there. James was on there. And me and him were on uh, Team Chase, and I mean I'm a, I'm Team Chase all the way. I mean I I I think Sewell can be a great offensive lineman, but the biggest problem besides this is before the arm length even came out for me is he's really only played one full year of college football. He's 19. And it's in the Pac-12. And I'm not trying to rip on the Pac-12 or anything, but compared to what Jamar Chase did at 19 against the SEC, and I had a, a, a stat there where he had, uh, I think there was four cornerbacks that got drafted in the NFL, and he went nuts on them. I think he had – I'm going off the top of my head. I have it on my phone, so we're going to have to look it up again. Uh, I think he had seven receptions for 15 yards or more, six touchdowns. And these guys are all, you know, in the NFL now. So he, that's my concern with Sewell. And now having the short arms, because that was the biggest complaint about Slater. You know, everybody's like, oh, he's got short arms. He's got short arms, you know. If he didn't have that, he'd be, you know, it'd be really tough to take him or, or Sewell. And now Sewell comes in with, you know, not, I mean, 30, what is it? What, what was the arm length there? Uh, 33 and one fourth. That's not terrible, but it's still short. So, and like you said, the Bengals, had the guys who they have taken chances on with the shorter arms haven't worked out. Now, Jonah Williams, he actually has short arms too, doesn't he? Am, am I correct on that? He, he was over the 33 and a half, but okay, was definitely okay. on the shorter side. And in his right. draft class, people had length concerns with Jonah. Uh, the difference there is Penny Sewell's got like 300 pounds or not 330 <laughs> pounds on, right. uh, on, on, uh, Jonah and on Slater. Jonah and right. Slater built very similarly. Jonah's actually a little bit longer, um, a little, a little bit. I think he's a little bit taller too. I, I could be wrong on that. I don't recall right now. But 
Sewell with that extra 30 pounds and the way he moves with that extra 30 pounds makes a pretty big difference. Like you see right. him lose in technique or, or lose uh, the initial part of the pass rush. And there are multiple parts of the pass rush, right? Like there's the initial move. There's, there's the get off. There's the initial move. There's mm-hmm. a counter move. And then there's, you know, the cleanup part of the play where you, where you see coverage sacks happen. Right. And you'll see Penny Sewell occasionally losing that, that first move. He'll, he'll let his arms get knocked up or knocked down, but his, his ability to recover his lateral movement and, and ability to stay anchored and stay strong is, is really, really good. And I know that, you know, his three cone was in, I think it was like 70 something percentile. So like a, a above average time, but for guys at his weight, that's just for tackles for guys at his weight. Right. That was incredible. Like his athletic testing for 330 pounds really really good yes yeah now now my my thing is like i said that that my biggest like i said my biggest concern is the competition he played against and i know he can do all the measurables and everything and and just with like you just said the history recent history and this is where i i try to check Bengals fans where they keep saying the Bengals have not tried to address the offensive line that they have <laughs> they've had to, they've tried to address it a lot in the last couple years in the draft and they've they failed at it. So not not that you shouldn't draft one because you failed before. But my thought is, like I said, Chase is I think the best player in the draft, and I think there's a very good chance that they can get Leatherwood in the second round, and you can put him at guard and kick him out to tackle later on. What what are the comparisons in your mind between Sewell and Leatherwood? Are they are they anywhere close, or am I just crazy here? Oh boy, uh, there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if I know Leatherwood well enough to really comment. I know that Leatherwood's longer. I know that he has experience at guard and tackle. I know that he also has issues uh, with with technique that need to get mm-hmm. cleaned up, especially when he moved out to tackle at Alabama. Certainly played a higher level of competition. He has more experience at the college level. Those are things that you like, and and you also like that he's played multiple positions. Penny Sewell did play a year and a half. He, he did play a little bit in 2018. Right, right. And yeah, he's in the Pac-12, but he did play against Auburn. It wasn't his best game, but he didn't get embarrassed by guys like Derek Brown. There, there's certainly some reps that you can go see against a really talented defensive line in Auburn, which was his first game in 2019, where he had some issues. He did play uh, against Washington, and I know Washington isn't some stalwart, but they do have a guy named Joe Tryon who was on that team. And he, mm-hmm. for some people, is, is a first, second round edge player. And then he also played against Wisconsin and USC, and both of those teams have relatively talented defensive lines. Alabama, obviously, playing in the SEC, you know that's where all the yeah. athletes go. And I heard you say oh, yeah. you're not even an SEC guy, but it's just – No, I can't, I can't stand the SEC, but I, I got to respect them, <laughs> you know. It's a, yeah, absolutely. It's the fact of the matter is that that's where those elite pro, those elite you know, recruits go a lot of the mm-hmm. time and Ohio state right. does well too for, for all the Ohio state guys listening. Right. Uh, but, but I, I, I'd say that for, for Leatherwood, I mean, he, he had great testing. He, he had great athletic testing. I mean, uh, I, I have concerns about the, the, the footwork with Leatherwood and I, I like the length there, but he, he does have, some issues like I wouldn't feel as comfortable putting him on an island early right. in his career. And and that's why, you know, the, the idea of being able to start him at guard where he wasn't right. as good as he was older at tackle, but right. he, he has experience there at least mm-hmm. uh, does appeal to me. And he has plenty of physical tools that, that make you feel really comfortable about eventually transitioning him to tackle. If Frank Pollock is a developer that we hope he is. Right. Uh, but, but I do think that he's a significant step down as a prospect. The, the question just becomes how much does that matter? And like, I, I'm, I'm probably one of those people that, that prefers Jamar chase. I, so if I had to pick a team and I, I think this is, it's fun, but, but maybe a little <laughs> silly. Yeah, uh, yeah. If I had to pick a team, I, I would probably end up on, on team chase, but I certainly think that there are successful paths through the draft and in the 2021 right. season and beyond if Penny Sewell is the pick at five. Right. Now, I mean, I, I've said this on my show. 
I want Chase, but if they take Sewell, I'm not going to be upset. I mean, I, I, I'll be fine. You know, if they take, because there's with the trade that happened, you know, San Francisco moving up, there's a very good chance that all three of these guys, Sewell, uh, Chase, and Pitts, are going to be there. But Malik on the show the other night, Malik Wright, he said that the he that by his sources, the Bengals are not taking Kyle Pitts, so it's pretty much down to Sewell or Slater. And to me, I don't think we can go wrong either way because you could do vice versa. I mean, you, if you take Chase and you can get a guard that you can kick out to tackle in the second round, or if you take Sewell and you get a wide receiver in the second round, and that's the great thing, I think, about this draft. It's going to be really hard for the Bengals to mess it up, and I, that's where I think the, the Bengals have done a good job in free agency and stuff. And I know I've seen your podcast, you're – you're not so happy you'd like him to, to do a little bit more of the offense line, which I agree with you. I'd like him to do you know more depth and stuff like that. But as far as the starting offensive line goes, we're basically looking for a guard. And either you get it in the first or second round, we're going to have a starting guard, I would think, that's going to be a rookie. And I think the Bengals have done a good job of setting themselves up for that because this draft is, has two things, lots of wide receivers and lots of offensive linemen. I agree with that. I, I think that, like last year where there was a glaring need at linebacker. They went into the, into the draft still needing linebacker. They missed on Joe Schobert, Nick Kwiatkowski, who was one of my personal favorite linebackers last year, goes to Vegas on a like $7 million or so average per year deal. And and it was the first right. day, which right. was, which was pretty crazy. And, and for the Bengals, they were, they were probably interested in Kwiatkowski from, from right. what I understand. And he was just gone before, before they could even get into the market. And right. also at a price, they probably weren't comfortable paying. They were probably more interested at, you know, 4 million a year, which is what I thought he would get. So when, when Vegas offers them 7 million a year, it's off the table. And I think something similar happened this year. They were mm -hmm. looking yeah. for, uh, they were looking at guards in free agency. Tooney. They were interested in Riley reef. They were interested mm -hmm. in Joe Tooney. Or sorry, not Riley Reef. They obviously signed Riley Reef. They're yeah. interested in Brandon Scherf. Yes. Uh, from from Washington before he got franchised. I think they were interested in in Daryl Williams from Buffalo. And and they would have been probably willing to pay him uh a little more than than Buffalo ended up paying him, but he never gets to the open market. And when those guys don't right. get to the open market, then you know you're yeah, kinda out of luck. Right. But you know, where I do fault them a little bit is you had the worst guards in football last year. Mm -hmm. Yep. You, you got to overpay. Can't argue that. <laughs> yeah. And, and they have the money to do it. So like, right. Th they could have structured the contracts. I I've learned a lot about the salary cap and contract structure this year. They could have structured these contracts to push more of these salary cap hits into the future. And, and they could have probably signed a guy for 7 million a year on a two or three year deal or, or, a, or a two year deal with a third year, effectively club option with minimal dead cap hit if they have to let him go, especially with the TV deals that just got signed. So right. I I am not going to call them cheap, but I think they could have <laughs> spent more. And um, the, the data that I have available to me suggests that currently the team is spending in terms of 2021 cash spend, which is different from cap spend. They're spending less than average in the NFL in the 2021 roster so far. I do expect that number to go up because they will have a bigger than average cash spend on rookies this year. They'll have to spend right. about $20 million in cash on rookies because of where they're picking. Unless they trade back, then it changes. They will probably extend Jesse Bates and Sam Hubbard. And those yes. will both be big, probably upfront cash spends, but the way they're going to, the way they're going to end up doing this at this point in the process, when they know they're not going to sign a $7 million a year guard is they're going to do what they they've historically done with extensions, which is they're going to take a modest signing bonus, probably a smaller signing bonus. than you'll see elsewhere in other teams, probably about, you know, 60% of what these guys would get for signing bonuses with other teams. But to make sure that Jesse Bates and Sam Hubbard are getting as much cash as they would get from other teams. They'll do year one roster bonuses for these guys, which is going ah. to add money in the last year of their rookie contract and will incur a cap hit in the current year of 2021. Right. So by the time we get to September, the Bengals will probably be spending a, a 
a majority of their cap space. They'll be pretty tight to the cap. Their cash spend will probably be above average by then. But they could do all of those things and they could have also spent another $7 million. And, and that's where my only... They could have also signed a wide receiver, but like, yeah, that, that's right. like, right. That, right. That's, that's really where the criticism ends for me is they could have been more aggressive. They could have mm-hmm. broken the mold a little bit and they did spend right. a ton of cash. Like they were, I think the seventh they've, they've uh, committed the seventh most new year one money to free agents um, in, in this year's free agency period. So they spent a lot of money, but they also saved some money cutting Gino and cutting heart and, mm-hmm. and, so they could have done more. That's that's they could always do more, right? But like that right, that's yeah, the only always. thing is this year I thought this was an opportunity to 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 take that extra step. And you know, maybe right. they don't value Matt Filer as a seven million dollar year guard. In fact, I know they don't. They they thought that was a little bit rich for them, but mm-hmm. at some point you gotta give out a deal that's a little bit right. rich for you, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, like we we I know uh uh Anthony Kazenza said this a lot on on the uh Orange Black Insider podcast, and he's right. They just don't spend money on guards. They they just don't, and that that's that what that is going to have to change eventually. I think for them, they're going to have to spend uh, something on the guards because you can't keep letting them leave. Now, uh, my question for you is: when we're talking about you, they cut uh, Bobby Hart and they cut um, uh, G- G- Gino. What are the chances of the Bengals? Because a lot of talk now because they have a lot of money. Invested in three running backs. I think they got some of the most, the most amount of money invested in the running game more than most NFL teams do. I like, I love Geo. I mean, I really, I don't want him to go, but that's the fan of me. The, the, the realist, the person, you know, we got the money and and save more money and get more draft picks and get more, or not draft, get more free agency, free agents and stuff like that is thinking maybe we should trade him to, you know, if we can get a third. I would love to get a second round, but I don't think we can get that much. But maybe a third round pick in this year's draft for Geo and save some of that money. I don't, and there's been articles about it. I don't know what, what's your thoughts on on uh, cutting Geo or, or or just trading him. I don't think there's any point to cut him at this point. There's mm-hmm. not going to be anybody that comes along that's going to need that much money. Like the, the cap hit it at this point after free agency is effectively over, it's pretty insignificant. Like okay. it, it's not going to make a big difference in my opinion on the guys they're going to sign or not sign. Um, trading him is very attractive to me. Right. I, I think that he's a good player. I think that he adds value to the Bengals. Mm-hmm. He's in the last year of his deal. Right. That's the I, part I that concerns know. me right there. Is we, If we lose him, he's gone. And we get nothing for him. Yeah, and I, and I don't think you're going to get a compensatory pick, even if he goes maybe a, a sixth optimistically i think a six probably more likely a seventh um and and the the marginal value the 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 difference between geo getting snaps and samaje p ryan or travion williams or a rookie or any veteran that they go sign that's maybe a plus in pass protection is probably pretty small Mm -hmm. but he, he does have tangible value in that he is an above average pass blocker he's not going to make mental mistakes and this is something that at this point, Joe Mixon kind of is what he is in pass protection. Right. Uh, the, the the mental part, I think more than anything, hasn't clicked for him. You go watch the uh, the Joe Goodberry montage of sacks that uh, Joe Burrow took. There's one of them. Please, I really don't want to. <laughs> well, I mean, so so here's what's interesting no, I got about you. it, right? I got no, you. I, I get yeah. it. I don't want to watch it either. Um, yeah, I got you though. And, I see and the injury, the injury isn't on there, so at least you don't have to watch that. Well, that's good. And, <laughs> I did watch that again to see what happened to Mike Jordan on that play, and, and I never do want to watch it again. But no, I watch it. He's tackling the guy right in the Burrow's leg, <laughs> like sort of. Yeah, I uh, mean, it's, yeah, it's, that's how it finishes for sure. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I haven't watched it closely enough, but I've seen the finished picture of it enough times. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, the, there's one play where where there's a blitzer. There's a free blitzer. He's coming like out between right guard and right tackle. I think Mixon is lined up left of the quarterback in the shotgun. That's a hard block for running back to get to mm-hmm. slide over to the right to the opposite side where you're lined up with the quarterback and pick that guy up. Right. And I don't know what his responsibility actually was on that play. So this is this is definitely me speculating. 
Could be mm-hmm. that Joe Burr didn't call the right protection. Could be that the protection rules dictated that Joe Joe Mixon just releases anyway. But Joe just goes out and goes straight into his route. <laughs> and, and so, That's not good. I don't know. It, to me, it seems like there's probably some responsibility to to at least check and release if you're Joe Mixon on that play. Maybe he's only responsible for check and release on right. the left side. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't really know. That's me speculating for sure, but. I think that's a consistent thing that we've heard from coaches is like, well, if Joe would stop trying to catch the ball with one hand, maybe he'd get more (laughs) targets. Well, if Joe was better in pass protection, maybe he'd be out there on third downs because they're paying Joe Mixon a ton of money. They're paying Mm -hmm. Gio a lot of money too. And you're right. It makes them the the top spending team in terms of cap hit for running backs right up there with uh, Dallas, who's paying Zeke a ton of money. So if, if they can trade him, great. I don't think you're going to get a new pick for him on day two. Right. I think what you would more likely see is like a trade up that involved Geo. You know, we'll give right. you our fourth and Geo for your mid third yeah. kind of thing. Or or you know, something along right. those lines, like a pick swap kind of trade like Cordy Glenn. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. probably somewhere around the third round would be my guess. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that Cordy. because I mean I, like I said, I hate to see Geo go because he does a lot of stuff for us, but I also don't see them resigning him next year especially since they, they re-signed Piron. So that's where I think the writing is on the wall that this is his last year. And there's been so many times that the Bengals have just let the guy like AJ Green and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Carlos Dunlap and G, uh, Gino, like these guys we could have traded, you know, a couple of years ago when we weren't doing so hot and when they were still playing well and got something for them. And that's kind of my fear with with uh, Gio. I, I, like I said, I, I want to keep him, but I just don't see it in the cards of him being – being here past 2021 yeah i mean he's an older running back it would be uh it would be pretty it would be pretty surprising to see right. geo retained after this right. deal for sure but he also doesn't have an immense amount of trade value and he does have value to the bengals especially if you're worried about protecting joe burrow like geo right. is part of that plan mm-hmm. geo is definitely part of that plan so like i'm not trading him to trade him i don't no. care about the cap space at this point i don't care right. about the money mm-hmm. because it's too late like if, yeah. if it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago before free agency really is going, then, then yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really interested at that point. Right. Because then you can free up the money and maybe that emboldens them to, to offer a little bit more money to, you know, I don't know, Jaron Reed or mm-hmm. you know, one of the other guys that we heard they were in on and, and didn't quite finish the deal on. Um, but at this point it would have to be, you know, a tangible return because there is value there. And I think it's different from like Gio and Carlos and, and AJ and all those guys that were much higher value players. Right. Um, because the, 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 the time when you make a decision to trade those kinds of guys is, is when you need to blow it up. Right. And NFL teams are just the worst. Yes. And figuring out when, <laughs> when, to when the right time to do that is. It's so right. hard. It's so hard in a league where so much of the result is determined by attrition. Mm-hmm. So much can be um, – coaches especially believe this. Coaches are going to believe they can win with anybody because they right. believe, you know, yes, yeah, sometimes there are transcendent players like Aaron Donald who are going to just wreck everything you design. Right. They're going to think we can scheme an offense even if we don't have elite players. Even if we're down to our street free agent backups, we're going to be able to scheme something that's going to work. Usually they're not right, but the coaches are generally <laughs> very confident in that. And uh, for an owner to say, all right, we've got three franchise greats here and Carlos, Gino, and AJ. Let's ship them out. Right. Like, like Miami did with, uh, <laughs> with Tunzel and turned it into four first round picks. That's yep. incredibly hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly hard to do. And so I, I don't really fault the Bengals for it because it's, it's such an infrequent thing in the NFL. Like Cleveland kind of did it uh, before uh, Sashi Brown got fired and, and Miami's mm-hmm. done it. I think New England uh, is, is generally pretty shrewd. They kind of ate it for a year last year, and then they've gone back in this year. We'll see if it works out for them or not, if they can right. put some weapons around Cam. Uh, but NFL teams get it wrong all the time, mm-hmm. just all the time. It's such an imprecise science and, so because of that, it's, it's, I, I get where they're coming from and it's difficult. And I, I just have some sympathy for that decision. It's just incredibly hard to do. Well, especially that. And that's one thing about 
Mike Brown too. He is very loyal <laughs> to his players to a fault sometimes. Yeah. So yes, I, I that's another reason that I could see why it's so hard for them and him in general. So I want to uh, remind everybody here what you guys are watching. If you are new to the show, this is Sports with Strawberry Ice. You can follow me on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and this is on the YouTube channel. So if you're watching it for the first time on any of the live streaming apparatuses, please go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. I would greatly appreciate it. And joining me is Jake Litzkow. Is that how you say your last name? I, I wanted to make sure I said that right. It, it, you would think from the way it's spelled, it's actually Lisco, which Lisco. Uh, okay, sorry, Lisco. Yeah, the W is, is I, just there to to mess with people. <laughs> and I, I even listen listen to your podcast, Locked On Bengals podcast, all the time, and I'm trying to listen to how you said it to make sure I said it right, and I still messed it up. <laughs> well, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate my, my apologies on that. I mean, no, you're good, dude, man. My my last name is Trenopole, so that's why I just go by Iceman well, or <laughs> that's kind of hard. I read one to your name. There in our mailbag on, on yes. Friday's episode. And I think I nailed it. Yes, you did. You, I was very proud of you. I, I couldn't believe that. I'm like, wow. He's like Jeff, a Trenopal from sports with strawberry. Ice. I'm like, Hey, that's me. <laughs> I, I think oh, it's important God. actually to get names, right? Uh, I when we were talking to Steve Radicevic, actually Radicevic is the American pronunciation of his last name. It's actually okay. Radicevic. Oh, and wow. That's how I, that's how I wanted to pronounce it. I, I thought it was Radicevic. <laughs> uh, but it's Radicha Beach. And um, I, I stuck with the American pronunciation because that, you know, that's what Marissa Contepelli did when he talked with her. But right. uh, I, I think names is important. Sometimes it's really hard with some names that, you know, as, as, a, as a white person from Cincinnati, I didn't see a whole lot growing up. <laughs> right. Uh, but I really do try. I think it's important. That's uh, why. Uh, who, who was it? Oh, uh, Cheeto. Yeah. Like, I, it took yeah. I got a well, down. I got that part. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's not an, it's not a, um, the, the emphasis on Chidobe is not something that we see commonly in the West, even, even in like Spanish, which is probably the second most common language for people in the United States, not, not a common inflection on names. So that the first syllable, uh, emphasis on, on Cheeto's name took me some time, but you know, <laughs> I, I, it's something that I think is important. Oh yeah, I I work on these names, and then for some reason when I I get on the show, I get nervous, and then I just totally screwed up. Like that gone, and I worked on an hour trying to say this person's <laughs> name, and I still messed it up. I'm like, Ugh, but I am that's a constant struggle for me. So I'm I'll get better at it. I've been I've been doing it at this for uh, two years now, and but I mean I I went to radio school, so I should know what I'm talking about. I should know how to pronounce people's names, but you know, it is what it is. So, question for you is: How did you get to be the Locked On Bengals host? You, I know, I think you replaced uh, Goodberry, right? And that how that worked out. I was with you're Goodberry. With okay, I've with been him. doing okay. it for uh, two years now. Joe and I have been working together on Bengals-related projects for about a decade now. Um, I worked for PFF back in 2012 for a year, and and learned a lot about football that year. And um, essentially, what it was is James was leaving. Because James used to do the show before he came right. back and, and replaced Joe. He was going right. up to Cleveland. He did his year in Cleveland. He did his time. And, <laughs> uh, and he, uh, they offered Joe the replacement because Joe would go on with James once a week. And, and those episodes tended to be some of the better performing episodes uh, when James was a host. People really liked the dynamic between James and Joe and, and liked what Joe brought to the table. And so they offered Joe the job. But... Uh, Joe needed help yeah. and, um, uh, you know, it took, it took me some time to get back into it. When, when I started doing it with Joe, I hadn't really been working on football content for a few years. I'd taken a couple years off. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I think we pretty quickly hit our stride and, uh, yeah, I've been doing it for two years now with, with Joe for a little bit over a year and James is, uh, has been with me for 11 months now, just almost a year. He started with me in, uh, in May, right after Joe left. So coming up on a year with James and it's been growing like crazy. I'll answer that question. Crypt keeper. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been growing like crazy. We we've had our biggest month, 
we we are currently, I think, that the third highest listened to show on the Locked On Football Podcast Network. So out of all of our national shows and team specific shows, our little tiny Cincinnati market, yeah, yeah, uh, has been performing really well. And and Bengals fans, if you're watching and you listen to the podcast, uh, thank you. And I, I love how much you guys love the off season, and I understand why you love the off season as well. Uh, so that that's a locked on Bengals story. Crypt Keeper, I grew up a Bearcat fan. My my dad there would, take you go. Me to, would take me to Cincinnati get Cincinnati Bearcat games when I was growing up. Down at the shoe, would get the La Rosa's pizza mm. from from the from the shoe, and and had a lot of fun going to those games. Uh, I've watched. I remember one of the games that really stands out to me was uh, not at the Shoemaker. It was at U.S. Bank when the uh, Conference USA tournament was there and Dwayne yeah. Wade was playing for Marquette. Yeah, man, Dwayne Wade was good. Yes, he was. <laughs> I think I think I was I was at that same that, that same game down there at, at, at uh, the Coliseum. Well, I still call it the Coliseum, U.S. Bank, whatever, whatever you call it now. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, I just, I just, that's one of the games that stands out to me the most. And, and some of the games that I went to see, cause a lot of the games, you know, I would go early in the season when, when, you know, they weren't conference games necessarily, or when they were in the conference USA, they were mostly stopping everybody, but Memphis and right. occasionally Marquette, I guess when Dwayne Wade was there, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was one of the more memorable Bearcats games. And I still watch, I, I have a lot of concerns about what's happening there right oh. now. I hope they get it right. Yeah. And, I, I... Uh, how do you feel I don't about know what's Nick going Cronin? Are you are you like See, happy for UCLA or I, do you have some bitterness? I'm I'm, ha- I'm happy for Mick. I was never like I was a Mick Cronin. I was a guy who always defended. I, I will always defend whoever the Bearcat coaches. I defended Mick Cronin. You know, people would get on him about not getting out of the second round, and uh, and I kept saying, people look, you know, look what he came into. I mean, when he took the 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 job over, we had one recruit. I mean, that program was destroyed, which is kind of where, <laughs> unfortunately, it looks like we're, we're at again. Mm-hmm. So, and I just, I always support the coach and I didn't want him to leave, but when he decided to leave and I, uh, it was more pushed out the door probably by Mike Boone, who ended up leaving, going to USC. I was like, all right. So, uh, John Brandon's our, our head coach. And I, I liked what he had brought, you know, the offense and everything that, you know, Mick never had. So I like that, but I'm happy for Mick. I mean, I, I, I wish he was still here. <laughs> I wish he was happening with the Bearcats, but I mean, that's the life of a Bearcat fan. It seems like, I mean, we cannot, and this is the precedent that I don't like that the administration is setting. They cut the legs out from Huggins and got rid of him. They didn't give Mick Cronin what he wanted, you know, to, to help him stay or money or whatever the other things he wanted. They didn't give it to him. Now they got the coach that they just hired, less than two years ago, and now they're cutting his legs out. So I think it's not a very good precedent. I, I think if they don't keep Brandon, which I, I they got to make a decision sometime soon because there's a ton of kids in the transfer portal, and so far none of them are coming here because nobody knows who the coach is going to be. So I'm very interested and worried to death <laughs> about what they're doing because they, to me, have no plan at all in this. Might just be a football school now, as long as they can keep Luke Fickle there, you know? That, well, that's the other thing, man, is, is you got Luke Fickle, and luckily he wants to stay, but eventually Ohio State, Notre Dame, somebody like that's going to come, and they're going to offer more money, and it's going to be too much money. I mean, look, I don't care who you are. If somebody offers you this amount of money, more than you ever thought you'd get, you would move too. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a yeah. amount of money that could set your grandkids up and your grandkids' grandkids up. Yes, you're gonna move. I that's would. Always that point for everybody. Right. So that's that's where people are like, well, you should just stay here. I'm like, we can't compete with these schools. We don't have the money. We just don't. And anyway, so yes, I, I I'm very happy for Mick. Um, like I said, I wish he was still with the Bearcats, and I I wish they just keep Brandon and just you know let him roll, but. We'll see what's going on. <laughs> I don't know. Let's get back into the uh, the Bengals conversation here. Now, there's three things that I think the Bengals need to get in this draft. One, by the way, how much time you got? I haven't even asked. I keep talking. You got more time to hang out? Uh, we talked about doing an hour. So, yeah, we, okay, can, cool. we can do the hour. All right, awesome. Just want to make sure because sometimes I'll, I'll keep rattling on. I'm like, ah, I forgot to ask how long you got. I appreciate um, that. No problem. Um, 
three things I think the Bengals need to get in this draft. One, wide receiver. Two, a tackle or, or guard, offensive lineman. And three, I think they need to get an edge rusher. What, in your mind, who are the best edge, rusher, edge rushers that are out there? And I think third round is going to be right around the area that they might consider drafting one. Is there anybody out there that has caught your, your eye? I mean, I love the guy from the Notre Dame. Again, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I haven't practiced it. <laughs> but I think I know who you're talking about. He's, he's a linebacker. Um, he's looked pretty good, but I don't know if he'll be there. I don't. I would be surprised if he's there in the third round. Is that uh, Obosu Koromoa? I've not, I've not said his name before either, but yeah. I, yeah, I don't that, think that's that guy. A guy. I don't think that's a guy really on the Bengals' radar so much. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked a bunch at the edge class yet. It's not a great edge class, and opinion right. is all over the place. I mentioned Joe Tryon, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Washington guy. He sat out twenty nine or twenty twenty, but I think that if he falls into the third round, gets really interesting. Right. And, and again, I think the Bengals could be all over the place here. It's going to be very divisive. Uh, Carlos Basham is a guy that tested really well. Has good size. He's a little bit short, but good size. Pretty good productivity at, at Wake Forest and and played in 2020. I think that helps. Um, it's it's just tough because a lot of the guys that I expect to be there by the time the Bengals get around to addressing this, unless somebody falls out of the first round, right, are guys that have some concerns. Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma, you've heard discussed. Quiddy Pay mm-hmm. from Michigan, you've heard discussed. Aziz Jewelry, a jewelry, a jewel. I don't know. I don't know. What <laughs> Ojulari, I think Ojulari actually is is one of the guys that right. you know. If he's there, great. But I I think it's going to be very challenging. I have a lot of uh, trepidation around Jason Oa from Penn State just because of the the lack of productivity. He didn't end up with fantastic testing, as far as I know. Really like Cam Sample and uh, UAB's Jordan Smith. A couple guys that were pretty good at the Senior Bowl from smaller schools. You might be able to get on day three. Right. I also think they need to get a three tech. I know they signed yes. Uh, yes. Larry Daniels. O, Larry Ogunjobi, but yeah, um, and Mike Daniels, they got him back too. Yeah, but Mike Daniels at this point in his career is a fine rotational piece, and and right. you know, great veteran That's, leadership. Yes. Love the guy, mm-hmm. but at this point in his career, he's not your your right. He's not in your nickel package, ideally. Yeah, you know? he yeah. That, that's I want him in in the rotation. That's that's what I'm. I'm interested to see because we didn't get to see that last year with yeah. uh, Gino uh, Daniels and DJ Reader. So hopefully, yeah, he was asked to play a lot of nose, last to play, uh-huh. to play a lot of five, and I think he's a three tech. But the good news is, in my opinion, there is some there's a lot of quality depth on the in- interior of the defensive line in this class, much more so than the edge. Uh, Levi Onzerike is one from from Washington again that. There's a lot of divisive opinion on, but in terms of three tech upside, really like that. Aline McNeil, really athletic nose tech or, or nose nose tackle who can probably play some three tech. Um, Christian Barmer, of course, if he falls into the second round, I think deserves consideration. Tommy Togi, I might I'm, I think from from Ohio State. I'm not sure on that name. I think it's Togi. I think somebody told me, um, or it might be Togi. Togier, uh, I think. I think that's how you say it. Okay. All right. I'll take you there. Uh, I, I really like his tape a lot. Really, really like right. his tape a lot. Um, and and think he's just going to be a solid, solid player. So a lot of guys on the interior of the defensive line that I like, you know, round three, round four. But the first two rounds, except for Diami Brown, who I love as, a, as an outside downfield, uh, you know, Y, sometimes X receiver, excellent vertically ideally you get him in the third round might have to take him in the second round if you want him though the right. strength of the draft at the top is wide receiver the the depth in the first two rounds is on the offensive line and even into the third round i think there's there's some good offensive line depth especially along the interior interior defensive line between two and four i think is really strong edge rusher though i uh i think there's a there's a a, a large com- a component of coin flip for right. whatever edge rusher. Yeah. Well, that's that's where I think the the non-signing of Kerrigan was kind of big. I was hoping, which I mean, they still might sign him. I don't know. They but were. well, you don't, I, no? I don't think so. From, from okay. what I understand, that ship has sailed. 
Because for what I've heard, he wanted to, one of the, his his criteria is he, he wanted to start. I, I think that's what I heard. I do not think that was the deal breaker. Okay. But, um, Talking I money. I don't think that's going to happen at this point. Because he would be he would be a nice rotational guy to have in there with us, with our with with uh, Hubbard and uh, um, oh man, the the the, <laughs> the guy Hendrickson. we just signed Hendrickson. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, anyway, uh, Crips got another question for you. Are you a Frank Pollock fan? Uh, yes, I think that uh, Frank Pollock has a really interesting history in the league. Um, he he's obviously a Callahan disciple, Bill Callahan disciple. Mm-hmm. He worked with him in Dallas, right? And he's never really drafted and developed a great offensive line. He kind of inherited Callahan's work in Dallas and it still performed pretty well, but Dallas fans were happy to see him gone. And we were happy to get him right uh, to, to replace Paul, excuse me, Paul Alexander. At that point, he had one year in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. The running game was great. has been widely noted Joe Mixon's best year. And Joe Mixon's very excited that Pollock was back too. That's right. And he liked Frank Ragnall a lot that year. And of course we, we know at this point that that pick got sniped and, and we think it's a panic pick and they went out and got Billy price, right? Billy price hasn't worked out so well, but he's been injured and Jim Turner. I, I just don't think liked Billy price. I, th- I think that, you know, there was just no love lost there. And I think price is probably happy to see Pollock back. Right. I think Price is still a flawed prospect, but or a flawed player. But I think if he has a chance, you know, he has a an opportunity here with his old coach back to to put it back together. Uh, he he drafted Mackay Becton in New York. Mackay Becton turned out great. Loved working with Frank Pollock, and and from what I understand, there were some character concerns with Mackay Becton, some work ethic concerns, and uh, he he worked really well with Frank, and Frank had nothing but good things to say about Mackay Becton. So. You know, that, that's certainly a success story for him. But while I think that generally he's a, a good offensive line coach and, and certainly should be better than Turner, and from what Bengals coaches and, and stuff like that have told me, why they hired him is because he can teach technique. Mm-hmm. That's why they liked him so much. Right. <clears throat> I, I have to believe that that will be the case right now, but they, they clearly had issues evaluating offensive line in Cincinnati in the past. Um, and, and so you hope that the rag now can, can help to, to improve the self-scouting there and, uh, improve the development there. And I, I have hope, I think he'll certainly be a lot better than Turner, but there are some reasons when you look at his history that, you know, there's maybe a little bit of skepticism, but relatively young in his offensive line coaching career has a lot of experience with Bill Callahan. Who's one of the best, best in the business. A lot of reasons to think he will be successful as well. All right. Now, another question is that last year, my opinion, the Bengals put too much um or, or, or relied on on Turner's opinion too much of how he could coach up the offensive line. And that's one of the reasons I think that they did not address the offensive line in the offseason last year, because Turner came out and said that they were good, <laughs> which I'm don't know why he said that, but do, now the question: Do you think they're doing the same thing again this year? I know they they got Riley Reef, and I think and their uh, people their move. I think people are sleeping on is Quentin Spain. I know he didn't do great, and I we talked about how bad the guards were graded, but for him to come in in the middle of the year and play multiple different positions as he did, I think he did pretty good. And I think with Frank Pollock and and him hopefully being at guard and staying there. Will help, but do you think they're they're relying too much on Frank Pollock uh, to to better the offensive line? So t- kind of make it the same mistake twice. I don't think so, I, and it wasn't just it wasn't just Turner who thought their offensive line was okay. I mean, there they there were other coaches Why? in that building that that <laughs> thought that those guys were were putting in the work, and you know Fred was putting in the work, and Mike was yeah. putting in the work, and that they were going to get better. And it just didn't play out that way. And and all off season, you know, people that listened to me heard me say 
the improvement at the end of 2019 was more of a product of the quality of competition they faced than than tangible improvement. I think that there was certainly some tangible improvement, uh, but but a lot of it is is quality of competition. So right. Um, I don't think they're making the same mistake this year. I think that they are acutely aware of how poor their guard play was last year. I think that that Riley Reef is an appreciable upgrade over Bobby Hart, although you know, not necessarily the silver bullet that I think some fans might think he is. I think he's good, uh, but he's not going to come in there and be Andrew Whitworth. And right. he, he's still going to give up pressures. He's still going to give up sacks. And, uh, you know, th- that's just part of the game. Um, but I, I think that they're aware of the guard situation. I think that they see Quentin Spain. I, well, I guess I don't know this. I hope that they see Quentin Spain and Xavier Sufilo as competing yes. for the left guard spot. Yes, and that's don't what see I'm the hoping. Right yes. guard on the roster right now, mm-hmm. right? And, and Mike Jordan too. Put Mike Jordan in the mix too, because you know he was young coming into the league. He needed time to develop. I, I think that he has a lot to prove in mm-hmm. order to win that job right now. But he has good athletic tools. He has good size, and if he can fix some of the technique stuff, and and, and fix his pad level primarily, um, you know, th- then perhaps perhaps he can develop and win the job. But I, uh, I, I hope, I just hope that they don't see the right guard is on the roster right now. I don't think they do from conversations I've had. I, I think that they know that the, the, uh, the standard to improve is quite low. So, you know, when we talk <laughs> about guys like Matt Filer, who the Bengals right. weren't huge on, you know, they don't love Matt Filer, right? They don't love him certainly at $7 million a year, but they recognize also that he would be an improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so to me, that says that they know they need to address it. Um, I, I don't know how much pressure they feel to address tackle right now. That's why I like Leatherwood uh, quite a bit because I, mm-hmm. I, I love his physical tools. And yep. if you can coach him up, give him a year to, to, to work in a phone booth before you transition him out yes. next off season, give him a full off season to, to move back out to a tackle position. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is one reason I really like Leatherwood, but there are a few prospects that kind of fit that mold. Uh, a few tackles that maybe they're just guards. Tevin Jenkins was a guy that uh, I think he's certainly gone in the first round. I, I thought he might come in, you know, sub 33 inch arms, which is where NFL teams really start to care. Right. A lot of teams have a 33 inch threshold. A lot of teams have a 33 and a half inch threshold, I think, from from what I understand. But um, I think I lost the beginning of this question. It was about Frank Pollock. Uh, I, I think that they... <laughs> I think they know that the guards need to get better and that Frank Pollock can only do so much and they need better right. talent. In addition to clear protection rules and Joe Burrow can help with that in year mm-hmm. two, he's going to be mm-hmm. able to set protections better. <clears throat> Frank Pollock can, right. can bring clarity there, improve communication. Health can help with that. Um, as much as it's an excuse and sounds like an excuse, the amount of offensive line combinations that they had to try. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, was extremely detrimental. Yeah. Yes. And, and, th- and also that's, that's just part of uh, Jim Turner's style. You go back historically, Jim Turner loves mixing and matching. And, you know, if they can figure out who the best five guys are early and get some stability out there and hopefully minimize injuries, that'll make a big difference, but they don't have much control right. over injuries either. So, right. um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I'll get back. I'll get back to your point about the uh, competition at, at Gar between uh, Serfilia, Spain and Michael Jordan. I I like competition. I think that brings out the best in the players, and I, I think that it, it's it's good. It's healthy, and that's what you want because the thing is, you have three guys that could possibly. Start, I mean, I'm not really sure about Michael Jordan, but 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 Michael Jordan is also working out with with Willie Anderson, so he's he putting out in the with work. Willie Anderson for one week. Willie Willie has been oh, quick to correct us on. Twitter. Oh. he worked out with Willie for one week. It's it's not a it's not an ongoing. Oh. I did not know that. I thought it was yeah. more than that. Okay. Well, thanks. Thank you for clarifying. So he worked with him for one week. So at least he's got something from uh, the guy who I think should be a hall of famer, Willie Anderson. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, uh, my point is the, the competition, I think is going to be the best thing for that spot. Cause hopefully I agree with you. I hope that love, they get Leatherwood. That's who I want in the second round. And you have Leatherwood at one guard and one of those three at the other guard and reef at tackle. Then a year from now, you kick Leatherwood out there and then hopefully go get another. Uh, well, maybe actually you might get lucky and maybe Michael Jordan develops 
and maybe he can he can take over and be that that guard that we that we all thought he would be. I think we'll I think we'll have to reevaluate the offensive line needs next year. But but hopefully you have something that you feel okay about at left guard. Hopefully mm-hmm. Jonah stays healthy at left tackle. I think Trey Hopkins is on track to be relatively healthy or or healthy relatively quickly. Um, right. Perhaps in time for the opener. Hopefully I think that's going to be really close. Uh, but if Billy needs to play one game at, at center, you just hope that it's not, you know, you hope the matchup is good. <laughs> right. One game. Uh, well, th- but you can, this year's you can uh, help a center. So, mm-hmm. well, th- this year's uh, schedule is not going to be easy. So <laughs> no. the, the easier schedule was last year. It, it's it, we have, there is no easy games on the, on the schedule that, that I could see that, is it worse from a pass rush perspective though? I mean, they face some really, really good pass rushes in 2020. I would have to really look at it and, and look at some of the moves that have been made. But I think, you know, one thing that, that shouldn't be thrown out is just draft a pure guard. Uh, yeah. You know, if it's, if it's Wyatt, uh, mm-hmm. what's his last name? Davis. Wyatt Davis and or, yeah, Wyatt Davis, or if it's Dickerson, or if it's mm-hmm. Creed Creed Humphrey from from mm-hmm. Oklahoma, those guys I think could all play guard. Dickerson especially, I think Dickerson is a rare prospect. If his medicals check out when he goes to Indy, he's going to be one of the top hundred or so guys, or hundred and fifty. I don't know how many guys it was that are going to be going to Indy for medicals. Right then. Landon Dickerson, it looks great. Quinn Miners is another guy that, you know, tested really well, was really good at the Senior Bowl, has developed his technique in his year off from Wisconsin Whitewater. He's just a hard projection. So I I think for the Bengals, they're probably not in on Miners before the third round. But there are some quality interior linemen. Ben Cleveland, another one that you guys heard Joe mentioned uh, in the Civil War uh, table to panel. Um, there, There are a lot of guys that can help get better uh help get this offensive line better and they don't need to be the fifth pick but again just full circle here if it is penny sewell the offensive line is better and oh yeah and it's, oh yeah it's better for probably eight years so mm-hmm. um you know I mean, they, they have a need of wide receiver as well i think we'll probably be reevaluating the need on the offensive line next year Unless they oh, yeah. just absolutely nail this draft. And, you know, they get uh, – let, let me look at my list here. They get like a Walker Little or, you know, they pick, you know, one of these uber athletes, Spencer Brown in the fourth round out of University of Northern Iowa, the best athletic testing we've ever seen from a tackle. But, you know, middling tape. They get a guy like that and coach him up, and, and he's able to start next year. That's the only, t- that's the only way that we're right. not talking about this as a need next year. Right. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of goes to the, to the question I asked you on, uh, on your podcast on the locked on Bengals podcast is, uh, if for, with all the moves that the Bengals had made in off season already, if they knock, knock it out of the ballpark, uh, will they have a, a shot at the playoffs? And James was pretty adamant. They got to hit it all the way out of the ballpark and all the way into Covington, Kentucky for, for him to believe that they have a shot of uh, making it to yeah. the playoffs next year. With the, with the quarterbacks they face, the state of the roster currently, the question marks around Burrow's health. It's it's really hard to say right now. Right. That they've done enough to take that step. But there there's there's always, you know, the NFL, they play the games, right? There's a reason yep. they play the games that, you mm-hmm. know, there was zero expectations for Andy Dalton and AJ Green's rookie year. They went out yep. and won 10 games. So mm-hmm. you, you never know, but they, yep. they would need to get early contributors and like early good contributors in the draft. Right. For, for you to really think that. And I mean, I, I'm not in the prediction business. No, no, but, no, no. But it would it would take a lot going right. Yes, um, I, I agree I with that. Like Lou Anaru would have to get it together on defense. I like a lot of the talent they've added and it would just take a lot going right. All right, one, one more question here from, from uh, Crip and I'll let you get out of here. Skyline or Gold Star, Jake? I grew up eating Skyline chili every Friday with my family. From age three to eighteen, before I moved away from Cincinnati for school, uh, I make my own Cincinnati Cincinnati style chili knockoff um, <laughs> at home. It ends up more flavorful because uh, I cook it down more than I think Skyline or Gold Star does. I don't use chocolate, yeah. which uh, may or may not be 
heresy, but I actually, I, I made it with chocolate. I made it without chocolate. I liked it better without. I uh, use allspice instead of cinnamon. I know there's cinnamon in allspice, yep. but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm back in town, I, I love chili cheese sandwiches. That's my go-to. I've been told I really need to try the Cholito. Oh, it's um, good. I, I've had that. Yeah. Is good. There, there's not a whole lot of Skyline I don't like. <laughs> it, it's really honest. the cheese that that, that gets Yes. Me. Yes. Man, that cheese is good. Yes. Um, and and what, actually, I'm moving away from the three-way in the restaurant a little bit. Really? Because they overcooked the spaghetti. And, really? Uh, for me. I'm just – for, for me, it's weird. <laughs> Every time I get it to go, I'm getting cheese conies. But if I'm in the restaurant, I'm getting a three-way and, and one cheese coney. For some reason, a restaurant, I want the three-way in the restaurant. Yeah. But I, I get it on the road, I'm taking, I'll take it to cheese conies. But definitely, anyway, definitely. Skyline is, is, is my I'm favorite. Still ordering, I'm still ordering the three-way. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm also ordering like three to four chili cheese sandwiches because I don't get to eat that stuff very often. And, you know, I used to get the Coney, but the hot dog doesn't do anything for me at, at this point. And, and just like the chili and the cheese alone yeah. in the bun is really wow. good. It, it gets all soaked in the bun and everything. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, good. oh, it's good. man, you're, dude, you're making me hungry. I'm going to have to get I'm off here and go get some skyline. I haven't eaten any food today. I'm going to go eat some food, Jeff. No go. problem. Hey, I appreciate you. You you came on my show on your day off, so I appreciate it a lot. And uh, take it easy, and we'll have to do this again sometime. Thanks, Jeff. Have a good one. See you, buddy. All right, that was cool. That was Jake Lisco. I think I said it right that that time. I hope I did. (laughs) And he's on the Locked On Bengals podcast. Him and James Rapine are talking Bengals every single day. I'm on every, well, Monday through Friday. Just take that back. But every day they're talking Bengals. So they are as locked in as anybody when it comes to Bengal content. So you should uh, definitely check those guys out. Um, I, like I said, I don't talk Bengals every day, but I talk it a lot because that's what everybody, everybody wants to talk about right now. Appreciate you, Crip. Thanks, buddy. And uh, so hopefully next week, Jeremy Dimebag Dean will be able to join me, but he's been too busy making money. At his job, which, you know, I don't blame him, you know. <laughs> we don't make any money doing this, so it's just fun. Anyway, I'll get to the uh, Facebook groups that let me live stream, and I invite all of you guys to join them. They're great Facebook groups if you're a fan of any of these teams. Day Nation, an awesome Facebook group. You can go there, make some friends, talk some Bengals, have a great time. Cincinnati Reds, riding third, heading for home. We've been having some great discussions in there this week leading up to opening day talking about the hitting. And like I said, I was very impressed with the hitting. That was one of my biggest concerns with the Reds going into the season. The the mind uh, setup of, of trying to work a count and hitting line drives instead of trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark, which I still hit two of them out yesterday. So I like that. Luis Castillo is not going to pitch that bad every game. It's not going to happen. He's too good a pitcher. We'll find out. We got uh, Tyler Malley going on Saturday. So, like I said, Cincinnati Reds rounding third, heading for home. Check that group out. Bearcat Country, great group. Hopefully, we'll find out something about Brandon here sometime soon. Like I said, I'm getting very worried because if they don't do something soon, it's going to be just as bad as when McCronin took over and we had one scholarship player when he took over, and it took us six years to get it back to the NCAA tournament. So hopefully they get it figured out. Either they're going to keep Brandon or they're going to let him go. I'll support the university whichever way they want it, but I think it's a very bad precedent as to what they're doing right now because as far as I know, there's no NCAA violations. He didn't treat the kids badly. Maybe they had a hard time communicating with him, which, again, I wrapped that up to the pandemic where it was hard to communicate with anybody. That's why shows like mine are huge right now because back in the pandemic, you couldn't go anywhere. So everybody sat around and watched guys like me. So anyway, I hope they figure it out soon because I want my Bearcats to get back to being the Bearcats and going to the NCAA tournament. And hopefully someday before I die, they'll win an NCAA national championship. Then you can also, for all my Buckeye fans and Jeremy D, it's the Ohio State Bucknuts. Check that group out there, fun group. The Ice Bar, the show page. I put a lot of silly memes on there, pretty much a lot of the same stuff that's on the Strawberry Ice page, but it's just different. It's a virtual bar. You can go there and hang out, try to create conversations and meet some new friends. 
Follow me on Facebook. It's under Sports with Strawberry Ice. I have 900 people, 908 likes. 981 of you are following that page. That is awesome. That I appreciate you guys. Please continue to follow. Share the page out as many times as you can. And let's just keep growing this thing as much as we can. I have 297 followers on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. I do some silly TikToks on there with Jeremy. Uh, later on tonight, um, I should be putting the podcast on. So if you missed any of the show and you can't watch it, you want to listen to it, check out the podcast. It'll be iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. YouTubers, when I started this show today, I was at 953 subscribers. That is awesome. Unbelievable. I made a huge jump yesterday after being on the Civil War, excuse me, Wednesday with being on the Civil War with Orange is the New Black podcast. My boys, Ace and Zim, those guys are great. So if you're not subscribed to their podcast, they're part of Cincy Jungle, please subscribe to their podcast. So please subscribe to both their pages and their YouTube channels. They're great guys. They know a lot about Bengals. They know more stuff than I do sometimes. I get a lot of my stuff from them just inside inside information there so check those guys out and other than that it's friday we got the weekend it's not it's sunny but it's kind of chilly here in cincinnati but what do you expect it snowed on opening day we got the reds tomorrow and very excited about what the Bengals are doing so my thanks to jake from locked on Bengals podcast for joining the show and other than that as jeremy d would say all together now remember one thing And one thing only, you don't live in Cleveland, you live in Cincinnati, so act like it. Who day? That's just sports, baby. And see ya!